still not asking for it. A podcast brought to you by Hope Harbor, a sexual trauma recovery center. I am your host, Elena, and in this episode, Mel and I are talking about virginity, purity, waiting until marriage, and the expectation of saving yourself, which is all encouraged by the Christian church. Mel and I have talked about this topic uh, for quite some time, um, and we're really encouraging um, our listeners to contribute to this conversation. Um, So we have a link in the information um, of this episode. You can actually find it in all of our episodes um, to where you can leave us a voice memo. Um, You can also find our contact information, our email address, um, crisisintervention at hopeharbor.net, if uh, you would rather share your story that way. Um, And then we can um, include it in a episode in the future. And we are looking for all different types of voices and stories as two people who were born in similar areas, who were both assigned female at birth. We have similar backgrounds when it comes to how we were raised in the Christian purity culture um, and how things were spoken to us about it. And we'd like to get some other perspectives, whether that is from a different region or area, whether that is how someone has spoken to someone, how things how things differ based upon gender, based upon different religions, different areas, and really seeing if, if there are differences in this or if this is our ideals that are and values that were tried to instill, tried to have instilled upon us in the Bible Belt area that we live in. So we're in Kentucky in the United States. Um, I like to distinguish that since we have our Australian uh, listeners that we love so much. Um, and and yeah, and, and really um, speaking of our personal experience here, but I think also speaking as um, feminists and as people who do anti-rape work, um, that it's not a stretch at all to uh, overlap Right, this idea that um, your self worth um, is wrapped up in uh, if you have sex, who you have sex with, um, and then also that shame that can come along with um, being uh, assaulted. Um, something that we also plan to talk about. So obviously, let this count as our content warning. Um, is that uh, in in some cases, like when people are sexually abused as children. Um, that their question, um, or, or as a teen or as an adult at any age, really, um, the question of if they're still a virgin um, is something that comes up and can contribute to that trauma and to that shame around being assaulted or abused. Um, so I feel like it's also important maybe to note that uh, we believe that virginity is a social construct. <laughs> And that we are coming from that space as well, that we that we are uh, people who were um, who had these ideas imposed on us. Right. As as young people and have kind of grown from it, have been able to step away from it. So to talk a little bit, I guess, about myself. So Mel and I had had discussed that we would be sharing our personal stories. Um, You know, on past episodes, we've had a lot of people share um, intimate details about their lives. And we felt like it was only appropriate that we share about ours um, too. Um, Plus we really hope for this to be a series where we um, have different conversations um, in the future. Like we've already talked with a Hope Harbor therapist about um, talking about how to 
how to have conversations with kids, um, like a sex positive, uh, conversation with kids. Um, that's kind of like a counter right to this idea of telling kids abstinence only is the only way. And then they have no idea about anything. Um, so yeah, so we plan for this to be multiple episodes. Um, we really want to hear from you all. Um, leave us a voice memo because that'll be really cool because all we have to do is like insert it into the episode. You'll even be notified. Um, obviously, you don't have to say your name or anything like that. Um, just whatever you're comfortable with. Or if you prefer not to do that, then you can email us and we can uh, just share your story with or without your name, whatever you feel comfortable um, with as well. Because we recognize this is like pretty personal. And so we are going to be sharing our stories with you all today uh, to get the story started. Um, we realize that this is personal and so we are sharing before we ask you all to share essentially. But then we're also just going to talk about a few things um, with what we've learned about purity culture and the harms that have been found in it, the myths that people were told, um, and really looking at as two people who really grew up in the 90s and early 2000s, I feel like that was the big boom of purity culture, um, especially within youth groups. Uh, both of us went to Christian schools at points in our lives. Um, so we really had purity culture just hammered right in. Um, and I really feel like that is when it was really prevalent, was in the late 90s, early 2000s time. Um, it was kind of a trend almost. Um you can look back in pop culture and see celebrities like sporting their purity rings. Um, and that was something that was decently prevalent, I feel like, in our millennial age grouping. Um, so I feel like if you're a Gen Z and listening to this, you probably haven't gotten the same experience um, that we had when we were growing up. Hopefully it's been better for you. At least I hope. Um, but this was something that was very prevalent as we were in middle school and high school, or I guess even earlier. Yeah. I'm trying to remember when I took the like purity pledge. Cause it was at, so I was raised Southern Baptist. Um, and I will say like my experience with the church, like with Christian church, um, I am not a Christian anymore. I feel like that's also necessary to point out. Um, but that like my family, like my home life wasn't super, indoctrinated maybe is the word. So, um, and I feel like that's important because I remember like coming home to, at seven years old, like telling my mom that I was going to be saved or telling my parents I was going to be saved, you know, uh, was going to be baptized. And they were like, why didn't you tell us? And I was like, I didn't know what I agreed to, you know, like, I just, I just like didn't know. And when I was thinking about like telling this, the story of taking the purity pledge, um, I, I feel like that's what they called it too, purity pledge. But like, I remember telling my mom that I did it. Like I had a copy of it or whatever to like show to her. And she was like, wait, you did this today? And like seemed bothered that like she wasn't informed, which as a kid, I just took that as, oh, this is a really big deal. You know, like this is a really big deal about what, like what I've done. And I, I should include like my mom in these decisions. Like that was the message that I got out of it. Um, and I had to have been like, I had to have been in middle school, like early middle school. So I have the opposite of, I came from a very indoctrinated family as well. So I was raised Catholic, um, going through 13 years of Catholic school from kindergarten to my senior year in high school. Previous to that, I was in 
some sort of Christian daycare. Um, Mother's Day out. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so I honestly only knew Christian school until I went to my public university where I cried for the first week because it was terrifying. Um, So all I knew was Christianity. Honestly, until I was like the age of 10, I didn't realize that people, that there were people that weren't Christian. I weren't even not Christian, but weren't Catholic. Um, I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, which is a predominantly Catholic place. Um, and there are enough Catholic schools there and we only interacted with other Catholic schools. So growing up, everyone I knew was Catholic. All of my parents' friends were Catholic. The schools that we competed in sports against were also Catholic. I thought that was just a thing. And I don't know when I realized that there were people that weren't Catholic, which is funny because my mom worked at a public school. But I guess I had just made the assumption that they just chose not to go to a, that school, but they were still Catholic. I guess I, I just never realized. They were poor. They couldn't afford it. Other, no, I never even thought of that, too, because I honestly, yeah. honestly, we were poor. And we just spent our money on that instead of. That's why you were poor. Important things. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, I feel like it's also important to note that we are together. But that Mel and I get to record together in the same room. For the first time. For the first time. But then that means that we don't have the fun video of us. That is true. We'll take a picture. I have so much content of us just <laughs> recorded on Zoom doing these. Um, but so what I was saying is the indoctrination of it all with me growing up in a different scenario is I never, I never learned to question things until much later. When Elena and I talk about our experiences... I feel like everything that she questioned in high school, I didn't come to question until my senior year in high school when I started working in places, like when I had a job and I was around people who were finally different from me, um, and then into college. Uh, And I think a lot of that has to do with how much of a bubble I lived in. Um, Because I remember coming home in middle school and talking, I feel like it was seventh grade, we had our sex ed. I don't even think the school labeled it as that. I think, I don't know. I never got it. Well, it was labeled as like, um, we read health. It was not health. It was religion based. It was in our religion class. Um, and it was based upon what's the book of the Bible where like Corinthians. No, <laughs> is that the only book of the Bible, you know? No, oh. but that's the one where they talk about like love and stuff. That's um, why it's always in like there's a Christian book. weddings. There's a book in the Bible, I should know this, where the book of Job, that's not right. Job is the pitiful one that makes you, like, love being tortured. Um, good God. I have no um, idea what you're talking about. But you I really also don't didn't know that Jesus and John the Baptist were cousins. It's all about like this dude and this woman and how they, how they. Is it the one they use in Handmaid's Tale? Probably. To uh, justify them. Because I finally watched The Handmaid's Tale. I don't know. That's what the lesson was all about. I'll, I'll say this later if I ever think about it. But I remember like they talk about this man and this woman. Like the book is essentially about them and it's. It goes through their. Like, is it one of the extra books that Catholics have? Yeah, it's have? like a little. No, <laughs> it's like a little. I don't know. I don't even know how to explain what I'm saying. I wish I had a Bible in front of me. I could find it. Do you? <laughs> Not really. But I remember that's what like the lesson was. And so we didn't know we were learning about sex. We thought it was just a religion class. 
until we got like this book about it and we opened it up and it had genitals in the book and we of course all laughed. Wait, this is not we in the Bible like, though. Well, this is not. The no, Bible. no, no. We got like this. We followed this book of the Bible to teach us, but we had this like sex ed book, but we did not know it was sex ed because on our like syllabus it was like talking about da 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 the story of these two people. Funny. And so that's how it was taught to us. It was taught to us as like this story that was like this poetry about a man and a woman lying together, nothing happening. And I was the child that my mother told me nothing. I was Daphne from Bridgerton walking in blind to this class. And I remember my, my one thing that I remember is that the boy that sat behind me was reading aloud and he had to say the word vagina, but he said vagina. And I started laughing and I got detention. You got detention for that? <laughs> because I laughed at a sacred word. Well, I'm glad they viewed vagina as a sacred word. But I did get in trouble because when the teacher said something about it, he was a man, um, I said, it's because he said vagina. And he goes, he said it correctly. And I said, I have one. I know how to say it. (laughs) And that's what I actually got in trouble for. But yes, that is what I remember. But I remember coming home and talking to my mom about it and asking questions because I was very intrigued that a penis is someday potentially going to go inside of me. And so you got that content scary. at what age? Seventh grade. Yeah. I had no idea. I had no idea. Eighth grade. Maybe I remember the classroom I was in. I remember the teacher. I had no idea what sex. Like, he was a large, scary man. I remember being in fifth grade and like my friend talking about her sister making out with her boyfriend. Um, and she's like, I think they were having sex. And I was like, were they naked? I was like, because you have to be naked and kissing to have well, sex. We knew that. I knew that, but I didn't know what was going on. I just, I didn't know what else was happening. So it was first explained to us in these poetic ways of like watering the flower and yeah. like things like this and this beautiful thing. Um, and then it was talked to us about this can only happen between married people. This only happens when you're wanting to have a baby. So I remember those explanations for a long time, like things that my mom said, like when you're married, you have a baby and when you do this. And it's funny because my sister has also done this method with her children. And so she had been previously married and had children and he also had kids. And when they got married, like their second marriage, um, I remember when they kissed at their wedding their kids freaked out because they thought they were now pregnant because they they knew if you're married, you have to be married to do this. And then you associate kissing, kissing with, sex. with sex. Yeah. So they thought when they kissed at their wedding, like they were pregnant. Yeah. Had no clue any other. Thing. And this is what happens with abstinence only type of except for what they did at your Catholic school. That's very like, well. I'm very So I do by think that. Catholics are a little more up to date than like Southern Baptists or things like that. They're a little more progressive on a lot of things, not much, but <laughs> on the overall scheme, but more than like Southern Baptists. But I do Catholics remember, have been around for like a million years, so they yeah, had time. I do remember having diagrams of like genitals and like talking about the parts of like a vulva and the parts of a penis and things like I do remember that. Um, no, I had no idea there was another hole. Like, I had no idea. Oh, okay. I had a vagina. So we had more than that. We did have that. And then I do remember them, like, talking about, I remember we watched this video of a tadpole, like, swimming, and it was supposed to be, like, sperm. Or it was a fish swimming. Like, we watched this video, and then it was, like, this, like, fish, like, opening this, like, like digging through this dirt and, like, going into this hole. And, like, they talked about, like, fertilization in that way. <laughs> 
And so I watched, uh, oh, what is the, um, look who's talking that movie. Oh, and they show that. Yes. That, that, is, that was my science reproduction lesson. I still have that like pink, really bright, like shiny, like if no one knows what we're talking about, there's a movie with like Christy Alley. Yes, and I Christy don't remember Alley. the other person. I don't remember the guy's name. Essentially, it's talking babies. Like the babies talk to each other, but no one hears. Yeah, and then there's look who's talking now. There's Which another. Is dogs. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, but in the I first watched that at my one, grandparents' house. That's where I watched all my risque stuff. The like intro to it shows like the sperm fertilizing the egg and has like the sperm talking. Yeah, and now I haven't seen this since like 1997, probably. But I feel like it's probably really misogynistic. Oh, too. yeah. It's probably like, I'm going to come get you. Yeah, it's probably like really creepy. And she's like, no. <laughs> really problematic. But yeah, that's, I'm glad that I that's, remember that. That's the education that we got. Yeah, that was the education that we got. When we didn't have the internet. So that's the backup. Yeah, except for the pornography they were showing you at Catholic school in your textbooks. It was scientific, <laughs> it was like a real good. Yeah. No, I have Diagram, no idea what story you're talking about. I yeah, no, we didn't talk about anything. Our like health, our like health was one time they called all of the girls into a room um, where they told us to properly dispose of tampons and pads because apparently a younger kid found one and thought somebody was hurt because there was blood everywhere. Um, I do remember, and now seeing it, didn't think about it in these terms at the time. I felt like it was embarrassing that we were learning about it boys and girls in the same room I remember coming home and telling my mom that's what felt embarrassing is we had a male teacher and not only a male teacher but like the most intimidating of our teachers um and that was the person that was teaching this lesson to us and that you know, your seventh grade and the boy you like is sitting across the room from you and you're like having to talk about this which I know I'm saying that in a very heteronormative way um, because if you separated, well, yeah, and genders there was out, you no, would still, and there was no conversation about like gay kids anyway, right? No, not at all. I mean, that yeah. wasn't allowed to exist. No, yeah. Um, so but, do you think that that embarrassment came from shame? Like that, that but shame I think was that, already, I think that was something, you know, it was instilled in me from an early age. Like you don't talk about these things with men, you know, like, I remember growing up, like, when I did start my period, my mom talking to me about, like, these are things your dad and your brother don't need to see or talk about or know about or anything like that. Like, it was very, like, secretive. Um, you know, there was a lot of stuff with, like, nudity around male relatives and, like, just a lot of modest, like, female modesty, which didn't exactly exist the opposite way in my household, which I'm sure is very normal everywhere. Um, but yeah, I felt like it was a shame because I had been told my entire life, these are female things. These are women's issues. These are things that, and so I think that's what it was. But now I've realized a lot of places, they separate boys and girls um, out. And that has to be harmful for anyone who identifies as non-binary or trans and how are they separating them? And then I'm sure they're separating them to talk about heteronormative sex mm -hmm. and not any type of queer situation. Yeah. You know, that made me, that just made me realize too, you talking about separating people out, like, um, in the work that we've done with the International Center here in Bowling Green, whenever we've had, um, whenever we've done presentations uh, with the with the different refugee groups um, about uh, like 
sexual assault and like uh, healthy relationships, uh, keeping kids safe, you know, as well, um, that there's, there's often a comment, you know, where they're like, um, listen, you know, we needed, like, we should have separated these groups out, you know, like these aren't conversations like men and women have together, um, or these are not conversations men hear from women, you know, like, like as like all female presenting people, you know, at Hope Harbor that were like doing these presentations and, um, or at, you know, at the time, um, and still now, but like, and it was like viewed as if that was different, right? Like we do that to, uh, people who are from other countries, you know, act as if like, oh, well, you know, well, men can tell their husbands what to, you know, or men can tell their wives what to do. Um, you know, because they're from, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, mm, we, and I, like, I've, I've had those conversations with like staff and volunteers too, where I'm like, uh, we do that here too. <laughs> you know, like these are standards that we see here and probably because they're almost all religious based, you know? Um, yeah, this, like, that is really where the root of this comes from and is like the power right behind these types of values of, yeah, like, of, of shame, embarrassment, um, you know, uh, this idea, yeah, that, um, you should be saved for marriage. Like that is, that's only something that comes from, uh, religion. Um, and it doesn't work. There's like, I guess not a whole lot of research out there, but it's not difficult to find. Um, whenever you look up, like if, if virginity pledges work, um, it's like most people who take those pledges, um, do not save themselves for marriage. I'm putting air quotes around saying that because I think that phrase is really silly. Um, it's like 3% of Americans wait until marriage to have sex. I would love to know though, like what kind of sex are we talking about here? Yeah. Because that was something that I don't remember. Like what defines sex? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. Like, like where people are like everything, but like, they'll be like, I'll do everything, but cause they, they've, They've gotten this message, right? That like Jesus is vaginal, <laughs> butt sex, butt sex, Jesus is legal. Um, that yeah, that like vaginal sex is like the only yeah, form of sex. Right, that's so when you you're could not do, a virgin. Yeah, so you could do which things. is also based on women being the problem, right? Because the hymen. it's the all hymen. about the hymen that you probably broke when you're seven when you fell off your bike. Yeah. Or put a tampon in for the first time, mm-hmm. or whatever it may be. Which is why you know some people say you can't like they don't want their kids to, or like girls to wear tampons, tampons. because it, it takes your virginity. virginity. Yeah, the hymen is not a like wall, like like you know like how that's what should have been in our diagram, the hymen. The hymen, yeah. But then they would have had to prove that it's not like a seal. You know how like when you get juice from the store and you have you to like break the, the seal. seal on the top. Yeah, your your vagina's not juice. <laughs> the podcast episode name. Um but I do think that that is why vaginal sex is considered this standard for sex because really that is what people care about. You know, it's not about the like penis being damaged goods. I mean, you know, whenever we talk about purity culture, that that's one of like the big myths you hear is like, oh, if you have been penetrated in that way, you are damaged goods. And so no one's ever like... Tell the story about the rag. Oh, okay. So when I was growing up, and I think this was in youth group, I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember when, 
I just remember we were talking about like godly relationships or something like that in dating. And so obviously they have to talk about abstinence because that's all you talk about. Um, so we talked about um, the, the, the leader brought out like a rag or a towel or something that was like stark white. Um, stark white. Stark white. Um, pure was white not is probably the word I should use. Pure white. And used some kind of like food coloring or something and like splattered red all over it, which is such a harsh color, especially in like Christian terms. I feel like red is one of those symbolic colors of like sin. And Jesus Like the scarlet letter. You're slut. (laughs) And splattered blood all over this rag. And so he held it up first when it was white. He's like, this is you. This is your purity. This is your salvation. Only girls in the room. Yes. Maybe. I don't know. But I feel like it was only girls. Held this up and said this. Splattered it with stuff and then was like, this is what happens when you have sex. You become dirty. You become damaged. You become this. Like, if you went to the store to buy something, which one would you buy, essentially? Um, and then now I'm like, well, I really like tie-dye, so. Or, like, why were they talking about, like, it as if, like, prostitution? Like, you're going like to buy a wife. Yeah. So, I mean, but that's how it was talked to us about, like, your future husband, which one would he want? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they had a bucket that was, um, that was water. And then they had a bucket that was like, had something in it, bleach or soap or something. And he dipped it in the water and he's like, you can pray and pray and pray and like dipped it in the water. And it came out and it was so really red, but it was like kind of like dripping and like even worse. And he's like, you can pray about this, but that, that doesn't change what you did essentially. Um, and then he dips it in this other water and he's like, and this is the water of salvation or of Jesus or whatever. Um, and it like, mainly went away but there was still like this pink tinge to it and and it's so funny to me because like now thinking about it like the entire point of of the christian viewpoint is jesus saves you know like through him you're saved it doesn't matter if you murdered 75 million people like if you're saved you're going to heaven but if you have sex before marriage, you're still stained. Yeah. And so that's what was so weird to me is it's like they wanted to preach this moral of abstinence, but then still show salvation, which also the Catholics don't really technically believe that completely. There's like a sense of good deeds and there's a whole lot of other stuff that doesn't fully and like go. like limbo and stuff. Yeah. And, and there's a whole, yeah. So that gets difficult when you're talking to Baptist people too about salvation because we're technically saved as babies and baptized as babies. And that's a whole nother thing. Anyway. Um, cause I never actually chose to be saved unless you count confirmation. That's a whole other thing though. Um, anyway, I don't know what confirmation is. I'll explain that. <laughs> um, so yeah. And then it was like, you're still, you're still dirty. So it was like, there was no way that you could be this clean thing that you were before. So I remember that like sticking with me for a while. I also remember another friend telling me about like a flower and like, this flower is your virginity. And then like, if you have sex and like threw it on the ground, stepped on it. And then like this man tried to like make the flower back to what it was, but there was no way like the petals were falling off and all of this. So I've seen it with the flower where like, it's like a rose or something. And like, every time you have sex, like one of the petals goes away. Yeah. And then by the time your husband finds you, um, you know, when Jesus brings you your husband or some, you yeah. know, something like that, Fairy tale thing. like that you, like all you are is the ugly middle part of a mm-hmm. rose, you know, and you're all full of thorns and you don't have your pretty petals anymore. 
<laughs> so silly. Like, how do adults, like, do this to kids? Like, it's so upsetting. I didn't think this right. Catholic Church, what you do, you get baptized as a baby, where, like, most churches you would get dedicated, right? No. As a baby? I don't know what dedicated is either. Dedicated is where the baby just comes, like, they take them on stage at the church, and they're like, this... We're I don't think my church did that. Baby's life to God. I don't whatever. know. Um, but it's not like you're signing their life away. It's just like we're choosing as the parents to raise this child in this way, essentially. In the Catholic Church, you go ahead and baptize as a baby. So a sprinkle. They go ahead and baptize them. There's all this. It's very ceremonious. Catholic Church. You, that's where you have godparents. I think I want to be unbaptized. Can you do that? Seems I bet you there's some evangelical. Seems like group a great party to have. Um, where you walk out of the water. Like, <laughs> throw your head back, Baywatch shell. <laughs> Maybe we use fire instead. Yeah. You can be like Daenerys coming out yes. of fire with your drag. Yeah. That's it. We've been watching too much. Yeah, I've been watching too much Game of the anyway, Stark White. I didn't even think about that when I said it. But so you get baptized as a baby, and it's your parents' choice for you to be saved, essentially. We don't use the word saved. That's not a thing. And so your parents choose for you to be baptized as a baby, and they say, I'm making this choice for my child. Whenever I was in eighth grade, you have confirmation, which isn't so in between that you'll Why do. Why eighth grade? I don't know. That's just what they do. Is it because you had your period? Probably. Because, <laughs> you know, in eighth grade, you make so many decisions for your life. Um, Baptize as a baby. In second grade, you have your first communion. You don't understand that either, but it's part of your grade because I went to Catholic church and I had religion. So if you don't do these things, you fail. So you have to do all Jeez. these things. In fourth grade, we have first reconciliation where you have to go and tell the priest your sins, which is really awkward in fourth grade because you don't know what to say. Um, so you just mainly lie about a bunch of stuff that didn't really happen because you don't want to tell them what you really did because it's really awkward to tell this man you don't know in a closed door with just this man that you don't know. After you've probably been told to not go in closed spaces with men you don't know. They don't tell you that about priests. Yeah. Catholics trust priests, remember? Um, (laughs) anyway, uh, (laughs) a whole nother story. Um, And then in seventh or eighth grade, you do confirmation. And I guess it's supposed to be because it's like the age that you know. And so essentially, you were baptized the first time with water and you're baptized, you're technically like rebaptizing the Holy Spirit. So what it stands for is you are confirming the baptism that your parents chose for you as a baby. So you're saying, yes, I agree to these things. And are you agreeing to not have sex at this point, too? No, you're just, I mean, I guess essentially maybe because. It's like understood. Yeah. To be a good Um, But it's more of Catholic. like saying like, yeah, I'm Catholic. I want to go through this. Da, 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 da. But you also would have failed eighth grade religion if you didn't do so it. So you like had no other choice. Because I remember a kid said, I'm not, not very doing consensual. this. And he was told he would fail. Yeah. Not so very he consensual. He's an atheist now. He was in a like goth rock he, band. He knew. He knew at that young age. <laughs> he knew. He right. Like, but like that's how, for me. But that's one of the many times, right, that like con- your consent is taken away from you. Um. Because, like, purity pledges are the same way. They're only done in, like, Christian schools or youth groups. I mean, what else are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. Um, And then we get into that purity ball and, like, the father-daughter thing where the daddy makes all the decisions for you. Yeah. Um, These things are not asked about. Not inclusive either. Like, talking about, like, people who don't have dads. Like, what do you... Yeah. What if their dad's dead? Like, that's really... I guess another male figure stands in because that's more important than... Yeah. I mean, it goes to the same thing. You think about like when you get married and you're like, dad is supposed to give you away like you're a piece of property to this other person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all the thing of the patriarchy of us um, allowing men I, to have these. Yeah. These, all of this. Control. Like, control. Yeah. Um, I will say I was terrified of being pregnant, which I think says a lot about me now. Um, but like, 
that was what I felt like was a more driving force for me than like not having sex. Cause like I had friends that have purity rings, you know, true love weights. Um, and we didn't like make fun of them, but like we weren't going to get one either. Like we also didn't feel like we needed one. Is it because you were scared of being pregnant? Because my fear was my own bodily insecurities and that I didn't really want to see me naked. Oh, yeah. No, I was afraid to be pregnant. And I didn't fully understand how you could get pregnant. So The concept of pregnancy to me, I don't feel like, I don't think I ever got there. Because, like, the concept of letting, of being naked in front of someone I liked. Like, was a barrier already. Was like, I won't do that. Yeah. Yeah. The vulnerability of it all. Yeah. And, and, and also not knowing. Yeah. And I will say, too, I mean, I think it made sense why I was so worried about being pregnant was my mom, when she did find out I was having sex, when got me on birth control immediately. So she was also worried about me being pregnant. Same. Uh, I do. I do find it interesting. I do find it interesting, too, like this kind of rolling into like sex ed to a degree, like because we were taught such abstinence. I didn't know, like what was supposed to happen and what should happen first and like how, like just hook up culture in general. Um, and my sister, I technically had my sister who was seven years older than me and did tell me a lot and my friends a lot. Um, your friends told you or your no, sister, my sister told, you told me and, and my friends. friends. Yeah. Or told me and then said, you should tell your friends this too. I remember not knowing things about like, um, like hygiene, I guess. Um, or the social constructs of it. I remember my sister like telling us, she's like, you need to shave your vagina before people see it. (laughs) I remember like, she's like, you'll get made fun of for that. And then I remember my friend getting made fun of because Because it was coming out of her bathing suit. It was coming out of her bathing suit or something. And, and boys saw it and started saying stuff. Yeah. And I was like, you and, like, she didn't know. She didn't know you could shave there. She didn't know that was what was supposed to happen because no one had talked to her I still swear. It. One day I looked down and I got hair all down there. I don't know what the happened. My body awareness at that age was just like. I remember my sister also telling me to use tampons because people will be able to tell when you're wearing a pad. Hers was mainly, like, embarrassment things. Like, to save me from embarrassment, not, like, real education. Yeah. Which is still shame-based. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, like, don't do this because you're going to get made fun of. Yeah. And I don't think her intentions were that. It was to save me from shame. But, yeah. I do remember like learning those things in that way. But I remember like not knowing consent because I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. And I felt like from what we were taught, it was always this women as asexuality type things. I remember thinking that I was broken. I remember thinking (laughs) that I was broken because I remember being sexual at a young age. Mm -hmm. Like I remember essentially masturbating didn't know it at the time that that's what I was doing but like having these fantasies and these dreams and like laying in bed and thinking these things and wanting to touch myself or doing it and like thinking that I was wrong because these books that I read the women that I talked to in my life were like these are things you do for your husband women shouldn't Mm -hmm. get pleasure out of this you should be willing to do these things when your husband wants to what he needs, what Mm -hmm. he wants, like nothing about you. So I remember thinking, one, am I a woman? Because I want to do these things. I remember that question coming up. Um, And then I remember thinking, like, am I broken? Or is this just sin? Like, 
and I'm not supposed to think this way. So then whenever I started doing things, um, and this is like very basic, like boob touching and like making out, I didn't know what to do. And when I didn't want to do it, I didn't feel like I could consent. And I feel like that's a big thing that purity culture causes rape culture is women are so, taught so much to please men. And I hate that I'm saying it this way because it's such a heteronormative way of thinking. But that's the way it's taught, though. Yeah. I mean, you can, yeah, I think you can point that out. But, like, yeah. But that, I mean, it was my boyfriend. I liked him. I was having fun making out. But, like, I remember, like, hands going down my shirt. And I was just like, I can't say no because this is what he wants. Mm-hmm. And then I remember, like, thinking that I needed to, like, pray about it. Because, like, I was the wrong mm-hmm. in it. You seduced him. Um, yeah, like, Your it was me pillows. doing it. <laughs> it's a Carrie reference. <laughs> it was my fault. Like, had I, I don't know. At that time, I was probably flat as Sorry, a Sorry, I'm not trying to make fun of your story. No, it's okay. It's No, that's how I think of it. I remember two things. Feeling like I couldn't say no and wanting to because my bra was probably so padded because I was, like, a negative A cap. Yes. And I didn't want him to realize that it was bra and not boob. <laughs> He like goes and tells his friends. So once again, like that what bodily a, what a boob insecurity. feels like, what a boob feels like, and they're like, uh. that bodily insecurity is really what kept me good for as long as it did. Right, but like, where does that insecurity come from as well? Right, yeah. like, I think it's so intertwined, you know, of yeah, like that shame based like approach to all of this. Yeah, because men are never told they're unattractive. Mm-mm. No, like really basic men think they're really. Good. And if they are told they're unattractive, they're told they're funny, which makes them attractive. <laughs> Yeah. I don't want to discount. I know there's plenty of men who have insecurities. Yes, there are. I just don't think it's as built in to these cultural things as as it is with women. But yeah, like I want to, yeah, continue talking about like consent and like expectations because I think what this does is it really builds up that like first night you have sex, right? Which also is kind of confusing because then you're basically told it's going to be like amazing and awesome, right? Yeah. But then you can't do it. Yeah. Because, so, or else it won't be amazing and awesome then. But then, like, you find out, okay, the first time you have sex, like, good for you if that if was right. awesome, if it was great. Not the case for most people, you know? One, so, this is one of the things that they that I've heard talked about is, like, this flip switch myth that, like, because God ordains it, essentially. There's fireworks. It's going to go from, like, you are a non-sexual being to all of a sudden, like, you're this sexual Panther is going to come out. I was trying to think of like a sexy animal. animal. Yeah, it's going to come out. Um, and I cannot speak to that as a person who did not wait. But I will say. Oh, I yeah. Met, I guess should we. Yeah. Also not someone who waited till marriage. Yeah. We're both we can, married, but we, we did. We did not wait. Yeah. Um, so as someone, as, as other people, and I don't want to fully tell their stories, Um, But I know multiple people who I've had conversations with about, and in different stages of their marriage, who did wait until they were married. And I will say all the people that I'm speaking about that I talked to are women. I've never talked to a man that waited and what his aspects or thoughts are or a person who's non-binary, anything like that. This is just women. um, But they talked about waiting until marriage and like their struggles with it of like crying through sex because they just felt so dirty and how do I change myself from being a person who looked at sex this way and then looked at sex this way um 
and and one person says they don't regret waiting essentially but they wish that they had viewed sex in a different way they talked about how like sex was emotional to them so that they wished they had only had sex with one person they were glad they waited for this person because they said that they think it may have taken an emotional toll like have sex with someone else and then not be with that person later on um but that they couldn't get this sense of dirtiness out of their mind almost um, during it. I mean, because it's trauma. I mean, when you're told your entire life, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. This is the most important thing. Like, I feel like in purity culture, virginity is the like barometer of salvation almost. <laughs> that sounds horrible, but it is. Um, and... And so it's this, this question of how, why is it okay now? Um, and like, I think couples go through this a lot. And then when their sex lives aren't working out, they don't know how to talk about it. They don't know how to talk about it with each other. Mm-hmm. And then who are they supposed to go talk about mm-hmm. these things with? And then the concept of masturbation or toys or any of these other sexual oh, yeah. things that can't be brought into the picture because that would mean there's some problem. Yeah. And you can't have a problem. I remember I was an adult, and I had another adult tell me that she did not allow her husband to masturbate because that's what she was there for. That was the phrase. She, she goes, that's that what I'm, I'm there, there for. <laughs> Ain't my job. And I just remember us being like, <gasps> you know, someone that I worked with, and we were like. I remember, too, this, like, fairy tale thing. I don't know if this is an everywhere thing. But I feel like it was this, like, prince that's going to come save you. Did you have this situation? Uh, maybe. I, I remember the idea that, like, Jesus was going to send you. The perfect man. The perfect man for you. So I had to look up what the book was because I remembered the saying, but I didn't remember what it was. So I looked the book up. And I remember reading this book called Lady in Waiting. So cringy. And it was written by Debbie Jones and Jackie Kendall. Kendall. <laughs> Um, and there was this phrase that I remember from like seventh grade called Boaz versus, versus Bozo. Very creative. And Boaz was, I'm going to mess this up. I think the husband of Ruth. Um, and he was like this godly husband in the Bible that like when you were, you know, in the middle of Catholic school in seventh grade, like this is what you wanted. This is what you needed. This is what you're supposed to get. And, um, and because she was pure and good and all these things, Boaz was sent to her. And it was this thing of like, if you do these things. Is this in the Bible? What? Boaz? Boaz, yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I hope I'm saying the right thing that that's Ruth's husband, but I might not be. But like, because this woman was so pure, essentially, she got this, this amazing husband sent to her. Um, and it's almost something that you earn through your virginity, not by being a decent human being. That sounds like or, magic. I know, right? That sounds like she did a spell. Like, but that's really what I remember. Like, I remember this book talked about it. This was hammered in. Like, it wasn't about being a good person, finding someone with common interests as you, finding someone who personality matches with you. It was waiting for this, not looking to date, not worrying about dating, and poof, the magic person would find you. And it was always this prince. And you want a Boaz. But if you go out and date, and dating in the traditional modern day sense, you're going to find a Bozo. Oh, my God. 
that whoever thought of that was real proud of themselves. They were. Um, but I remember it, man. It stuck with me for a long time. But this gave me issues later in life because even when I was dating really good people for me and even into my marriage, like, I remember, like, second-guessing. Is this Boaz? Is this my, my Boaz? Yeah, my marriage because, one, we didn't wait. And then, two, um, the Catholic – or the church in general, which is, this is a little off topic, but the church in general says this thing about how, like, the man should lead the woman in their faith. Um and I was always, any kind of faith, whether it's Christian or a spiritual faith or anything, I've always been the person that's more into that. I'm also more of the leader in our relationship. I feel like even- You're just a leader in general. My husband would agree with me in that. But like, that was something that, oh, in doing so, did I find a bozo? Like, did I not find like a Boaz? And I, it made me question a happy, good marriage- And then when I, at the time, was going to church very regularly, would watch these couples that he was really involved in the church and doing a lot of these things. And then I was like, oh, is that what I should have? And then a sense of envy towards those people. And then I get to know these people and they have really like shit relationships where he talks down to her. He treats her like garbage. They're not happy. They're not compatible. The only thing that they have is that one, he was probably significantly older than her and they waited until marriage is the only thing that I can find that yeah. is like, and then significantly older usually. Yeah. Um, and so that was where I started like noticing like, okay, this is not about me. This is about inherent, like this is about shame that I've built up and I'm now like letting bleed into my relationship where it shouldn't. Um, but that was a hard thing for me to come to. And I mean, I'm talking, I was 26, 27, like thinking these things still, yeah. like these things were still bleeding in. I knew at this time I would have classified myself as this intersectional feminist who like wouldn't have thought these things, but then it's like still there in the, in your head. And that's the reason I had to leave those church settings and get out because I was like this, I can't, these two parts of me don't exist together. I can't be this person and be part of this culture. Because for a long time, I thought I could stay a part of a certain Christian church and be this way and stuff like that. And, you know, the hate. And I know people the, can. The Some hate people of the can. queer community. Just, yeah. Just did that's it for me. That's a pretty big deal. Just did it for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty big deal. Um, and I recognize some people can because, I, you know, there's like a sense of community or whatever. But, yeah, that's not, that's not me. But there are churches who can give you a sense of community without being hateful bigots. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. They do exist. Because I will still identify as, I identify as spiritual. That's the easiest way to put it. But I am still technically a member of a Christian church. Um, But it is a affirming church led by people of all genders, welcoming of all people, no matter their background, and actually believing in that and not just saying that. Because that's my favorite is it's like, we welcome everyone and then we'll make you pray the gay away. Yeah. Have you seen that new meme going around where it's like most Christians left the church because they want to have sex with someone the Bible told them not to? Have you seen that? Interesting. It's like a pastor wrote it too. And we're like, well, duh. Like that's the problem with y'all. Not with. Yeah. Like the pastor was trying to like call people out with it. And we're like, and y'all it's like, don't you know, realize that's like your a, issue? Yeah, like a really easy way to solve this. Okay. A bunch of people shared it. I'm going to try to find it. 
but yeah, it was essentially this pastor like said something along the lines of like a lot. I think it, and it, I think it essentially said young people, like mm-hmm. a lot of young Christians are leaving the church. I think it's a thing where like Christianity is a rise globally, but it's not in the U S um, or people who go to church. Like that, and there's like a distinction there. Oh, especially uh, which generationally matters to churches because that's who gives them money. Yeah, and and I think it's a generational thing too. I think generationally, um, I think especially with purity culture, I think purity culture was uh, big in our generation more than it is in others. Um, I will say I used to lead a youth group, and those girls were given the same type of purity culture nonsense that we did. Um, but I don't think it's as relevant in all areas of life as it was like when we were growing up. Um, but I do think it's interesting because it's almost like the church and maybe this is me coming from a Catholic background and then opening up to like different variations of Christianity and different religions in general. But I feel like the church is like cloaked in different things now. Um, like, I feel like, essentially, the church, like, put on cool kid clothes to try to... That was what, like, the... It's called unaltered now, which is, like... That's what, like, an unneutered dog is called. Is the um, purity thing? The purity ring thing. Purity okay. ring thing. Yeah, it was, like, they used contemporary, like, music. They had, like, cool, hip people, like, you know, which is what youth leaders look like mm-hmm. now, you know, right? Um, yeah, like, played rock music, and then... Shoo! I mean, went, went in with the with the purity myth. That's essentially how I got sucked into an unhealthy church. Is I wanted to find a progressive option. Mm-hmm. I went to a church. They say they are a community for all people. So you would essentially think all people means all, but really it means like all lives matter. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and so I thought here's the here's a bunch of people covered in tattoos and wearing hipster progressive clothing and not shaming people for divorce and white people problems, straight Mm -hmm. white people problems. Um, And then the underbelly of it is it's still racist. It's still homophobic. It's still transphobic, but it's hidden under catchy music, a lot of lights and younger people at the foreground than before. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, they realized they needed a way to like, seem relatable and it's really just an old man in like a 20 year old's clothing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with a faux hawk yeah do they still have faux hawks it's been a while since i've been in a church but i know real skinny jeans and like the boots like booties that like women would wear but on men (sighs) oh chelsea boots yeah um glad you knew the name for it yes and well and i feel like that's i mean that's another conversation though too right where this concept of of this shame right around sex, but then like also knowing that like people who like to uh, prey on like young women specifically, I think young men too, um, like go into these roles as youth mm-hmm. leaders, as church and worship leaders. leaders. Yeah. Um, to where they seem cool, they seem awesome, right? And then they be they have these like inappropriate relationships, if not abusive relationships, you know, with with people. The the church too, it's like similar mm-hmm. to the Me Too movement, you know, is uh tried to uh bring to light yeah some of that that sneakiness is what i would is a nice way to put it and it's interesting because 
I remember being taught like modesty and like dress and things. I remember um, there was a Christian women's conference that came through Bowling Green. I mean, this was not that long ago, less than 10 years ago. Um, and I was, I like had heard about it from someone. And then I heard that it was mainly for like women to take their daughters or um, like people to, and it was for girls like middle school, high school. Um, and a big thing of it was like modest dressing and like not being seduce like seducing anyone and like your purity in that way which I think is so funny because then when you do look at modern worship leaders and youth pastors and these things that are men they're wearing very tight clothing on stage you know Mm -hmm. like and I can tell you majority of my youth group girls were obsessed their fantasies were about worship leaders at our church like those were their hot guys that they were looking up to But these guys who are wearing these skin-tight pants and these real tight t-shirts, like rolled up sleeves, Mm -hmm. they're always put together, and then they're like dancing and moving about. Wear like Hollister, like cologne. Yeah, like they're they're doing things, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but then it's like if if the female version of that did the same thing, it would be inappropriate. Yeah. Um, And then here it is like creating these inappropriate symbols for young girls, but then it's like, but that's okay because that's what they should look up to. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. a lot there. But I feel like we've done a good job at getting this conversation started because we definitely want to expand on this. Uh, we really do want to hear from other people. We're going to start recruiting people to tell their stories. And if you don't want to tell your story with your voice, um, you can always email us. We would love to read it. We really just want to hear different points of view. We've seen the harm that purity culture can do, not only in our own lives, but in other people's lives. I think as a society, we've seen how this can lead to rape culture and how this is... Or it's I mean, a part of rape culture. It is. And how this kind of stems back to like patriarchal societies. I mean, the church is built as a patriarchal society. Uh, and we really want to hear. It doesn't have to be extremely negative. Um, it doesn't have to be that you're not... A part of that culture. Maybe you're you're still Christian, but you're um, you've been able to see that this made some change to you. We just want to hear your stories, um, wherever because, you're from, uh, whatever it is. We want to hear people that are different from us talking about their scenarios. And we recognize too, like the reason why we're doing or why we're asking for other people's stories and why we're sharing our stories is that it is really relatable. Like so many people can relate to this. Um, you know, like you're not, I mean, kind of similar to being a survivor, right? You're not alone. There are other people who have, um, similar instances that like, I can make you feel okay. Make you feel less weird, make you feel more normal. Um, you know, quote unquote normal. Um, and that's kind of what we're like wanting to do with this conversation. So reach out to us, um, look for the links to where you can leave us a voice memo um, or look, find our email and our information and you can shoot us an email that way and get us your stories. Thanks for hanging out with us. And remember, we're still not asking for it. This podcast has been brought to you by Hope Harbor, a sexual trauma recovery center located in South Central Kentucky. Special thanks to Girl Tones for our intro. Listen to the rest of their song, Can't Pause, and others wherever you stream or buy music.